Welcome to the Dimensions book series by K. Arwen. An extraordinary tale of an inner journey and a battle of good against evil. In this podcast, the heroine Kaya tells her own story from book one, The Awakening. Our journey begins on the Scottish Isle of Skye. Parallel realities interconnect and interweave. Step in and enter Dimensions. Hi, it's Kaya here. Welcome to the next episode of my story. If you remember, when I left you last time, I just had that message from my guide, Metamorphos, when I was writing in my journal. And he told me that the dimensions were shifting and I'd soon be leaving my partner, Dick. His real name's Rick, but my friend's and I sometimes refer to him as Dick. Well, it turned out that Metamorphos was right. Let's just continue the story. I'd just cleared away the tea things and I told Dick that I was going to work on my past life article. He doesn't respond verbally, but his body language speaks volumes. He grabs a beer from the fridge and disappears into the study to watch a film on his iPad. I mean, that in itself drives me nuts. We've got a perfectly good lounge, not to mention a television set. And yet he insists on going into the study. Only so that I can't use it. I haven't got the desk. I haven't got the study. So here I am in the kitchen with the prospect of using the kitchen table to do my work. I feel like ringing Bella. Bella wouldn't put up with this. She wouldn't put up with Rick for as half as long as I have. But then she's in a different situation to me. She has a fantastic relationship with a guy who seems to adore her. So it's all very well for her telling me to leave Dick when she's in a secure, loving relationship herself. The sound of the film that Dick is watching drifts into the room. I'm not that keen on films, especially the shows that he likes to watch. His typical behaviour is to flick through the channels until he finds something that's so violent or aggressive And then he turns up the volume so that no matter where I am in the house, I can hear it. And today, it seems, is no exception. I open my laptop and sit down to type 
as the kitchen is filled with the sounds of a street fight. I try to disconnect from the noise and frown as I focus on the screen in front of me. But it's no use. It's impossible. So I take a deep breath and and walk through to the study. And I ask him to turn down the volume. You're too sensitive. It's only a film. It's not real, he replies. Any quieter and I wouldn't be able to hear it. He's not going to budge. So I go back to the kitchen and try and calm my irritation. This is what he always does. Upsets me to the point that I can't work. Well, I'm not going to let his manipulation win. I close the kitchen door and sit down back at the kitchen table, but the volume from his iPad increases. This is ridiculous. I know how it's going to pan out. I'll stop working. The so-say film that he says doesn't affect him, well, it will. And quite frankly, he's going to be more short-tempered, more opinionated and more obnoxious. And I'm going to end up being even more careful than usual, tiptoeing over eggshells in order to keep the peace and probably end up going to bed really early just to keep out of his way. I might as well face it, I'm not going to get any work done. I go back to the study. The noise is deafening and Dick is now slumped in his chair, his eyes glued to his his telephone. He's disregarding the iPad that's on the desk and is refusing to acknowledge me as I stand by the door. So I enter, cross the room and turn off the iPad. Hey, what the hell? He says, his face sour and flushed. I'm trying to work. The deadline is on Friday. Can't you just keep the volume down a bit? You and your deadlines, you're so selfish. Switch that back on. I don't respond and my lack of compliance irritates him even more. He starts to get up from his chair and then something really weird happens. A high-pitched squeal starts to come from his phone. The screen flickers as the squeal becomes even louder But Dick seems totally oblivious to it. What happens next is so quick I hardly have time to react. Dick tries to stand but then falls back into his chair as though something is pulling him. And I watch in horror as he sort of goes rigid, becoming frozen into a position staring at his phone. Then his eyes start to flicker wildly as if he's being downloaded with information or some sort of program, like a machine. Then, as suddenly as it had started, the squealing stops, and and, and Dick slumps forward in his chair, breathing really heavily. I stand shocked, not knowing quite what to do, and then I hear Metamorphosis' voice speaking in my head. Kaya, get out! I ignore him, and instead walk across to Dick. Are you okay? Get out now, I hear metamorphosis again. Dick suddenly seems to come round. Why wouldn't I be, he says as he tries to stand. 
but he seems weak and staggers and falls against the wall and he starts to curse and swear at me. My instincts kick in. I know I have to get out. Not just out of the room, but out of this ridiculous relationship. I'm leaving. The words that seemed such a challenge to say before come out in a, well, easy easy, and easy way. Yet the effect on him is immediate. It seems to trigger an inner rage. His eyes, they turning hard and, and cold and he lunges. I'm going to kill you, he spits, reaching for my throat. I duck and he hits against the, the wall behind me and I, I run into the hall and grab my rucksack and, and call the dogs who come scampering towards me, tripping up Rick as he tries to make another grab for me. He curses and kicks out at them as they fly past his feet. But he only succeeds in losing his balance and falls to the ground. Well done, you two, I say as I open the, the back door. I snatch up the bankies from the side and leave for good. I'm shaking though and feel really uneasy and and I, I drive my van aimlessly for a while just wanting to get some distance between me and him and the house. I feel in a daze. It's weird. My emotions are swinging from euphoria at finally leaving to this hideous guilt that maybe I shouldn't have. What if I've done the wrong thing? What if there really was something wrong with Rick and and he needed my help? After all, the incident with his iPad and his telephone was really weird. And whatever it was that was happening with his phone, it had such a horrible effect on him. I turn the van off the main road and pull into a lay-by under some trees. I need to talk to a friendly voice and fast. The last thing I need to do is to attach this hideous guilt and go back. I crawl across to the back of the van and grabbing my laptop open it and dial Bella's number. There's a pause and then Bella appears on the screen in her yoga gear. Hi there, she says, laughing at me. Then she sees the expression on my face. How are you doing? I fight back the tears that for some reason are threatening to fall. I've done it, Bella. I've left him. Whoa, good job. About time. There wasn't any trouble, I hope. I know that Dick can live up to his name. Bella, his name's Rick. I think I'd best use his real name again now. It might help me detach from all the angst. I don't want to drown in it and then end up going back on some hideous victim guilt trip. Yeah, fair enough, Bella replies. So, you okay? I'm just a bit wrung out, to be honest. It took a lot of energy to leave. Hey, but Bella, something really weird happened. I tell Bella about the squealing noise that I heard coming from his phone. It seemed to sort of possess him and turn him into a raging animal. Don't you go making excuses for him, Bella replies, pointing her finger at the screen towards me. I agree. It does sound kind of weird. It's not like you to lose your head and imagine things, so what do you think it was? I shrug. I've no idea. Well, you're out. That's all that counts, Bella says. 
Where are you headed? You're welcome to come here. Thanks, but I'm pulled to going north. Bella pouts. Where to? Scotland, I reply without a moment's hesitation. Scotland? I know you want to put distance between you and him. I get that. But Scotland, that's a bit extreme. Bella laughs. Well, I just grin. Well, it sounds like you've re-embraced your adventurous spirit. That's got to be a good thing. Look, I'm here if you need. I sign off and close my laptop and look across the cab of my van to where my two dogs are peering at me from the front seat to see what I'm doing. We're going on a road trip for a bit, girls, I say, scratching the black and white dog on the head and receiving lick in response. Talking to Bella has made me feel more relaxed, but I suddenly feel exhausted. <laughs> Lay-by may not be the prettiest place in the world, but tonight it's going to be my home. So I set about organising the camper van and I fold the rear seat out that converts into a bed. I pull my sleeping bag out of its stuff sack and lay it on top and delving to my rucksack pulling out my torch I hang it from the ceiling of the van. Chandelier! I'm shaken but not stirred. I grab the dog, the dog bowl and fill it with dried biscuits. I've only got the one, they'll have to share. But they don't seem to mind as they crunch happily on the biscuits. I love that sound. It's sort of a happy sound. It makes me feel calm and contented. Talk about innocent pleasure in simple things. Well, here I am, outside the van window, the, the, the dark setting in, and the stars are starting to come out. I feel really small, but at the same time, kind of expansive. It's as though I'm part of a bigger whole. I've just got to discover what that part is. Back at the house, Rick bent over and vomited again. Vic was cross. She should be here. She should be looking after him. He sat back on his feet and stares at the toilet pan, willing himself to stop being sick. What do I care if she's gone? I'm not going to fall apart because of a woman, he thought, as a wave of anger and resentment flashed through him. He crawled across the floor and sat with his back leaning against the wall. Boy, he felt rough. He was burning up and his insides felt like they were being torn apart. He'd been feeling like this since he'd had that beer. Perhaps it was off. Or perhaps he was having some hideous reaction to it. Rick groaned as his stomach lurched again and he reached back towards the toilet. He didn't get there. Rick collapsed on the floor and stopped breathing. For a moment his body was still and then it convulsed violently. A strange green and black fungi started to appear across his skin until he was completely covered. The fungi became thicker and thicker, taking on the shape of its human host. Then the being stood and stretched, acclimatising to its human-looking form. It looked around at the bathroom and stepped over the vomit that was sprayed all across the floor. Leaving the house, Aragicus 
drew the symbol to open a portal. Then he stepped through and headed for the collection point. The underground subterranean base was unusually noisy. In the main section, the final section of the device was ready to be connected and the large scaffolding was being lifted and screwed into place. Grisilior stared as the human men clattered and banged the metal scaffold pipes, feeling the ripples of sound through his body. He tried to disconnect from his impulse, which was to absorb. Absorb the noise and absorb its cause. All those men would be a satisfactory suit, but he had to obey the command of another, and the men in the base weren't to be touched. Orders were orders and schedules had to be met. He turned his attention to the device itself in an attempt to distract his line of thought. Initial tests of the device had proven successful and now this last section, which would amplify the transmission thousandfold, was to be completed. All that was needed now was the power amplifier which would be fitted into the apex at the top of the structure. But as of yet, they hadn't been successful in obtaining it. Grisilior watched as the men finally completed the scaffold and the noise subsided. Good. He, like the other skinwalkers, did not appreciate noise. There was a signal on the communication panel behind him and Grisilior turned to speak into it. He was immediately bombarded by yet more noise coming from the vehicle hangar. Yes, He could barely hear the man speak above the background noise. Grisilior stared at the man from cold, vacant eyes and the man noticeably flinched. Grisilior felt his instincts surge again. Another potential host. He squashed the urge to feed as quickly as he could. Soon. Soon he would, but not now and not here. You're wanted in the main hub, sir. I see they're bringing in the retrieved spacecraft, he replied. Did they retrieve the crystal? Grisilius watched as the huge sections of the spaceship that were being transported into the hangar behind the man. Negative, the crystal wasn't on board. Grisilior didn't respond. That meant another delay. The crystal shard was vital if they were to get full capacity from the device. Sir, the main hub, the human said again, the Matrix Lord. I'll be right there, Grisilior replied, snapping himself from his thoughts. He left the hangar, exiting through a metal sliding door and walked along the wide corridor that led to the main hub. He walked briskly and turning into the octagonal room, saw the cloaked figure of the Matrix Lord standing with a cube collector. I don't like to be kept waiting, the Matrix Lord said, addressing him in a strong voice. 
Gracilio didn't respond to the criticism. Why should he? The Matrix Lord may well be the mastermind behind their collaborative plot, but he didn't fear him. Another craft has been recovered, he said at last, but the crystal shard wasn't inside that one either. He looks at the cube collector accusingly. The collector, a cybernetic being devoid of any emotion, simply returns his stare. Grisilio held the gaze. He wasn't going to display, display subordination, not even to the eight-foot-high, powerful figure that was the collector. They, after all, were just like him. A race of being who were only interested in their own gain. The cube collectors were hardcore mercenaries who excelled in two things. One, technology. And two, the collecting and experimenting on upgrading organic life forms. The Matrix Lord was unmoving. And despite not being able to see his face, Grisilior could sense the disturbance in energy that his anger caused. A static ripple emanated from the figure. So, the crystal wasn't on board. We have one last energy trace to follow, the cube collector stated. The collective never fail. The static ripple retracted. The Matrix Lord was satisfied. Very well, see to it. We need the crystal to ensure the device can spread the parasite spores. What updates do you have? he asked, turning to Grisilior. The construction is on schedule, Grisilior confirmed, and I have an updated report on the transmission of the skinwalker spores. Parasite. Grisilior didn't like the term. It was demeaning. It made the skinwalkers seem weak. They may appear to be parasitic species that lived on a host, relying on their DNA pattern to hold their form in the third dimension. But they were so much more. Well, the Matrix Lord inquires impatiently. The device is fully operational in transmitting the signal that induces the correct energetic state for the spores to thrive, Grisilio reports. All initial testing of spore germination has proven successful and new moulds are arriving. They are brought, being brought to the base. Very well, the Matrix Lord replies. The Cube Collective must uphold its delivery, he says, turning his gaze to the collector. When you capture and collect the great beast and the ley lines weaken, the device can send the parasite across the globe. Humanity will fall. Sir? The Matrix Lord turns to see Regalis, a tall skinwalker with orange hair, entering the main hub. Another convoy has arrived on the surface to gather, to deliver gathered moulds. Very well. See to their orientation, the Matrix Lord replied, dismissing Regalis and Grisilior. He then turns to the cube collector. The energy signature. You said you have logged it. Affirmative, the cube collector replied. It's been uploaded to your computer database. 
The Matrix Lord crosses to a panel in the wall and runs, it, runs his hand across the screen. There's a flash and then a swirling image appears that looks like DNA. And the collective could gather the subject. The Matrix Lord shakes his head in response to the question. No, I do not need your services for this. I do, however, need the collective to deliver the additional piece of the device that that I have paid for. He gives the cube collector a cold stare and it turns and leaves the room. The Matrix Lord crosses to a side room and runs his hand through the air in front of him as a metal panel slides back to reveal a small subchamber. He steps inside and pauses by a metal plinth that holds a chess set in play. The Matrix Lord pauses by the plinth and considers a move. Holding his hand over the white bishop, but then retracts it and moves the white knight instead, staring fixatedly at the white queen as he does. He needs to stop the white queen. He needs to ensure that she doesn't disturb his plan. Then, standing in the centre of the chamber, he begins to mutter incantations, moving his hands in front of him as though drawing energy up from the very depths of the earth. Draws a symbol with his fingers and sends blue electric light from his hands into the ground as a dark, mist-like substance begins to seep out from the floor beneath him. The mist swirls and thickens, becoming a vortex around his body before splitting to form dark humanoid shapes. The Shadow Men. Well, the Shadow Men ask. There's an energy trace, the Matrix Lord replies. Follow it. Remove it. Stop the prophecy. Stop her. The Shadow Men grin maliciously and drift from the room as the Matrix Lord walks back to the panel that contained the swirling energy trace. Go! The shadow men melt through the wall. It's cold in the van first thing in the morning and I wake up early and I lie here staring at the ceiling. Even the vents of yesterday, they feel like they happened weeks ago. I feel quite remorseful for walking out really, but also inside I've got this real deep sense of relief and knowingness that I've done the right thing. <laughs> the two dogs are down here on the floor and the ginger one is sort of lying on her side and trying to wag her tail. And as she does, it hits against the floor of the van. It's kind of a nice sound. And I reach across to the a basket that's tucked underneath the front seat and pull out a road map. Opening it, I turn to a page that shows Scotland. Seems ages since I was in, in Scotland. And it seems such a long way away, and yet... Really, what is it? Couple of days drive, if I take my time. I look at the map and plan my route. Loch Lomond. 
I'll drive to Loch Lomond, hit the highlands, and then where? I turn the page and see a, a map of the Isle of Skye, and my head starts to spin. I stare at the names on the map and the shape of the land and of one area on the south of the island. It's funny, I was in Skye but I've never been there before. And as I stare at the map, the, the page kind of goes blurry and I can smell the sea. I can hear the sound of the waves hitting against the, the shoreline. And I feel as though I'm actually on the shore itself feeling the salty breeze on my face. <laughs> wow, in front of me, it's like I can see a, a white horse galloping along the shoreline. And it's as though the horse is calling to me in my mind. And then now it's like I can sort of sense a, a figure walking towards me along the beach, a, a red-headed Scotsman in a kilt. <laughs> he looks rugged and handsome with sparkling eyes that seem to dance with light in the same way that the sun glistens on the seawater. <laughs> it's like he's reaching out to sort of embrace me. <laughs> I think I've been reading too many stories about past life, don't you? <laughs> the dog licks my hand and I'm brought back to the immediate surroundings of my van. I wonder though, I wonder if I have had a, a past life experience in Scotland. I wonder if that's why I'm so drawn to it. Well, I fold away the camper, the camper bed and get ready for a day of travelling. I've planned my route so all I, do, all I need to do now is catch up with Lena. No sooner dead than done. Then my mobile phone rings and as I glance down, I notice her number. Hi, Lena. Her official voice, very brusque, <laughs> is replies. Hi, Kaya. Just checking in with you. Bella has just got to work and told me your news. You okay? I'm a bit taken back. Uh, yeah, well, thanks for rigging. That's really good of you. Well, breakups are never easy, she replies in a sort of a semi-caring tone. You're in one piece and that's all that matters. Actually, you sound better than you have done for a long time. Yeah, I reply. I feel it. Bella says you're headed for Scotland. Well, I've got a bee in my bonnet about it, Lena. I reckon I might have a past life link with it. I want to go and explore that and, and you know, see where it leads. Well, I'll endorse that, comes the reply. That'd be great for your article. The writer having an actual experience to run alongside with the others. Great. Look forward to reading. I'll extend the deadline, but check in with me in a couple of days, OK? I, I agree, and, and Lena hangs up. <laughs> it's good of her to call, but let's face it, I'm under no illusion. I guess that it's the magazine and a full column that is her prime motivation for contacting me than my personal welfare. Still, at least she's bothered. She needn't have called. I shouldn't be such a cynic. I clamber through into the driving seat and start the van. 
and pulling into the road I set off towards the nearest town. look forward to seeing you at the next episode of my story from Dimensions the Awakening. And if you'd like to follow Kaya's blog, it's krwin.co.uk. And for more information on the author, check out kayamia.co.uk or centeredresonance.com. Until next time, I leave you all now with some Atlantean light language.